The Real Men Connect podcast is brought to you by SoulCon Ministries, helping disciple men in a digital world. To find out more about the SoulCon Challenge, the six-week Special Forces Challenge for Christian men, just go to soulcon.com. We're blessed to have the Basic Solutions Group as one of our ministry partners. The Basic Solutions Group is one of the leading app creators for ministries worldwide. So whether you want to maximize your impact or multiply your ministry's message, then check out the Basic Solutions Group at basicsolutionsgroup.com. And to see what they can do for you, just go to your app store and download our Real Men Connect app for free on any Android, iPhone, or mobile device or tablet. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Guys, today we have with us another female, and I know what you guys are thinking, Joe, the females are hijacking the show. No, they're not. Is because I have a very special guest today, and her name is Nicole Braddock Bromley. And Nicole is an author, international spokesperson, sexual abuse survivor, an abolitionist, and a mama of three boys. Nicole is devoted to spreading a powerful and vital message across America and also around the globe. She uses her own life story to break the silence on sexual abuse and to bring hope and healing, empowering others on a journey from victim to victory over impossible circumstances. Now, Nicole also is the author of three books, um, Hush, um, Moving from Silence to Healing After Childhood Sexual Abuse, Breathe. And Nicole, I got to tell you, I love these single titles (laughs) of your book. Got Breathe, Finding Freedom to thrive in relationships after sexual, after childhood sexual abuse and soar a companion workbook to Hush and a DVD series for personal and group study. Now, although I haven't read Nicole's book, Shame on Me, I haven't read them yet, Nicole, but I am going to read them. I heard about her story and I wanted to bring her on the show today to share it with our audience. Now, primarily for three reasons. One, I'm a, all, you guys know I'm a survivor of sexual abuse, but two, the Christian community rarely, if ever, talks about this topic in church. And I'm sure Nicole will shed some light on that for us. And three, believe it or not, guys, listen to what I'm telling you. I haven't been able to find a Christian man yet who's willing to come on our show to talk about this publicly. That still blows my mind. <laughs> so when I first launched this podcast back in January of 2016, I wanted to address topics most churches avoid and finding men willing to talk about sexual abuse on air has been one of my toughest challenges. So I want to welcome Nicole to the show and for her willingness to pinch hit for the men today to help us address what she calls in her internationally recognized keynote, Our Little Secret. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe. You know, and Nicole, I had told you even off the air that I wasn't able to find um, men to talk about this, and you were just as surprised as I was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But and I think we're gonna, it's, a, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, and we're going to talk about that too. But Nicole, just like when we bring every guest on our show, we always ask them to share with us their favorite Bible verse, which we know is kind of difficult to do, but an anchor verse that gives them inspiration from the Word of God. What is yours? Yeah. My first 
response immediately is Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. You know, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others in any trouble with the same comfort we've received from God. That has definitely been my anchor verse. I've you know, my secret was a secret for way too long. And when I finally found the courage to speak out and begin my healing journey from childhood sexual abuse, I realized I wasn't alone. And in realizing I wasn't alone at the same time being comforted by my heavenly father, I knew that out of my healing, I had to be comforting others in their trouble so that I can share more of how God even showed me that verse and where I even learned about it. But um, that would be it. It's just comforting others with the same comfort we have received. It's an ongoing healing journey where God pours into us and we pour back out on others. Fantastic. Yeah. And you can share it when I because I'm going to get to your story, which they, you have a phenomenal story. I've been able to to listen to it and watch you do some presentations. And so you can yeah tell us about how that scripture fits into your story. I'm sure it does. But you know, I love that, that we are comforted so we can comfort others. You know, I often often share with men when it comes to our wives and, you know, they say that I'm help me. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if men look at it this way, but I try to tell men, I say, if you think about it, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. He said, I will send him a helper. And, Mm -hmm. but I thought how ironic that he's also calls um, the Holy Spirit a comforter, you know, a helper. And so I said, I tell men, I say, you have to look at your, your wife as if she is the Holy Spirit. She's there. Mm -hmm to be a helper and a comfort. And we're obviously supposed to do that for her as well. So I'm yes. glad to hear that. I can't wait to hear how you how that relates mm-hmm. to your story. And with that mm-hmm. being the case, Nicole, why don't you share with us, um, share with these guys, let them get an insight to what inspired you to turn your mess of a story into a ministry yeah. to many all over the world. Yeah, certainly. Well, a little backstory. I grew up in a small Midwest American town and almost everyone who knew me considered me the perfect girl from the perfect family. I came from what seemed to be a happy Christian home. I was like the poster child of our small community. You know, I was a straight A student. I was the captain of three sports, homecoming queen, student council president. So (laughs) my life seemed ideal. Yeah. But what was on the outside was just a mask because Inside, I was hurting. I was confused. I was sexually abused for close to a decade by my stepdad, who I lived with, who everyone in our community loved and respected. So I was afraid to tell for many reasons, as all sexual abuse survivors go through. You're afraid to tell. You don't know if it's really wrong. No one talks about these things. I was afraid that You know, I'd never see my mom again if I told that no one would believe me. What would happen if someone did believe me? You know, just silence. But I finally found the courage to tell my mom when I was 14 years old. And unlike the stories that I hear, you know, I speak all over the country on this topic. And so often survivors of abuse, men and women will say to me, Nicole, I told, but my mom didn't believe me or she told me to hush. And that's why I named my first book Hush. And so, but my mom did believe me and I'm so grateful. She reported the abuse and we were in hiding for about a week. He was trying to find us. I was certain if he found us, he was going to kill us. He denied everything. And exactly one week later, he took his own life. Wow. Yeah. And so at that point in time, you know, I, I was ashamed. I felt alone. I wouldn't be sexually abused again. And in some ways it brought me a lot of peace. 
you know, that he would no right. longer be here to torment me in that way. But on another hand, I was so afraid of what people would think about me when I went back to, back to school. And so um, I just carried, you know, I felt dirty. I felt damaged. I carried this weight of shame and guilt on my shoulders for not only the abuse, even though it wasn't my fault, I felt like it was, but then also his suicide. So I had all this going on and I just decided, you know, I was going to put my secret back under lock and key. And I vowed I was never going to tell again. So at 14, I broke my silence and told one week later, I said, I'm never telling again. And it was at that point in time when I knew that I needed to talk about it, you know, but I didn't know what to do with it because it was eating me up inside. Now, I believe the first step to healing is breaking the silence, you know, sharing your secret. I'm so glad I did that. But for me to get to where I am today, I I had to keep talking about it. And a full year had passed, Joe, before I even told my best friend the truth of where my stepdad killed himself Mm. because I didn't want people to know. But that next summer, that's when I came face to face with that anchor verse I just shared with you because I was invited to a church camp. And so I was was 15 at this point. And now when I went to this church camp, it was back in the time, you know, I'm 37 now. So it was back in the time when we wrote with pen and paper and we had the thing (laughs) called pen pals. You remember that? (laughs) Pen pals. Okay. So I remember sharing my story in front of everybody at that camp. And I went home and I was so embarrassed and so ashamed. I couldn't believe like I had done that. Well, about three days later, you know, it took about three days to get someone a letter in the mail back then. Mm -hmm. I started getting all these letters in my mailbox from other peers, kids, teens at this camp telling me their stories. They were saying things like, Nicole, thank you so much for your courage. I always thought I was the only one. And when you stood up and shared your testimony that day, I realized that I wasn't. Thank you so much. And, you know, it was all these people that had stories like mine and they had families that look like mine. So I thought I was alone all these years. And right. and here I was finding that I wasn't and realizing that it took me to find my voice for other people to find theirs. Mm-hmm. And it was that same week when I opened my Bible and I came across that verse, Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. And I realized that God was comforting me, even though it was hard and I was angry and I was confused. I knew he was comforting me. And then I saw how I could write back and forth with these other survivors of abuse and offer them the same comfort I'm receiving. And I could live this verse out. And so that's where it was for me. It was like I knew that pain put me into hiding. But then it was purpose that that called me right back out. Wow. that That is so powerful. You know, I told you, Nicole, even before we came on the air, I said, you know, I have my questions because obviously I'm a survivor as well. And mm-hmm. Just based on just what you shared briefly with us, I mean, I can right now I can do the whole show on your story <laughs> and because and, and, there's com- components about it. But I do want to ask some specifics because I do have some questions I want to get to because I, I know others may have the same question because I'm looking at. So at 15, you now are going public with your story, which I think is phenomenal. I, when I work with kids across the country, when I'm speaking at schools, um, that's my background. Nicole is in education before I came into men's ministry. And so I, I work with a lot of schools all over the country. Now, I don't talk about the topic, but they hear it in my story. And when mm-hmm. they come up to me, like you said, people were writing, the kids were writing you letters and that kind of thing. They would yeah. ask me, you know, they would tell me they're so in so much pain. And they'll tell me that I just don't know if I can survive this. And I always try to encourage them that, do you understand you're in a good place? And they look at me like I'm crazy. 
I said, what? I said, because <laughs> you're talking about it to someone right now. Right. And right. Nicole, I can't imagine the courage it took at 14 to tell your mom, number one, and then to mm-hmm. go back into hiding because what you had to endure and then to go back out in public to do it again. <laughs> and, I, and I try to convince kids that there's so much power in you opening your yeah. mouth. And I said, you don't yes. see it now. And I said, I understand you don't. And I love the way you put it. That and, and this ministered to me what you just said. It takes <laughs> time for people to find their voice. I'd never heard it put yeah. that way before. Mm-hmm. It takes well, time. I think it's I think it's true. And a lot of times it will take God using someone else's story to help bring your story out. Yes. You know, every time yes. I step off stage, I share my story, I step off stage, someone will come up to me and just squeeze my hand from behind and just say, me too. And they mm. will walk away. And you know what? Some people might say, well, like, why didn't they tell you more of their story? Or that was weak. But to me, that is powerful. Yeah, powerful. I believe yeah. the Holy Spirit met us in that moment when they mm-hmm. said me too, because I think the first step to healing is breaking the silence is identifying what happened to you is labeling it as abuse. And sometimes that's what they just did. And I think that God meets them in that moment and their healing can start that day. Right. You don't know where they're going to go from there. They might be walking straight to the counselor's office. They might be going to go make a phone call that they've never, they've wanted to make for 20 years. You know, I think that that's so true for me telling my story, telling my secret released me, you know, from my past so that I could embrace my future. And it was like the more that I told, the more it helped free me from the pain and the shame that I was carrying. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to share that with, especially with the young people that I talked to about, it takes time for them to find their voice, but but I'm also going to add to it, but you must look for it, but you must look for it. It's going to take you time to find it. But don't mm-hmm. stop looking for that voice. Now, let me ask you this, Nicole, about your situation with your stepdad. How long was he married to your mom? Okay, yeah, he married my mom when I was three. So he was, and then I told when I was fourteen. So it was eleven years. Right. And my first memories are right around four, five ish. Yeah. And so, so the abuse went on probably for for you talking about close to a decade. Then is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Right. Wow. Now, yeah. And he wasn't this complete monster all the time. You know, mm-hmm. that's how abusers are good at yes. what they do yes. because they groom you. They gain your trust mm-hmm. and, and everyone's trust in the community. So for me, if he had been uh, this horrible monster all the time, I probably would have told right away. But, you know, he was a good dad to me. You know, he was always at, you know, my sports games and he was pouring into me. We did a lot of father daughter activities that weren't abusive. Yeah. But then there were times that he was. So it was very difficult as a young kid to grow up and have this like contradicting relationship. And a lot of times abusers, they use, you know, action or financial things. You know, he was the caretaker of our family. And there's so many ways that they cause you to keep the secret and make you feel like you're responsible for this relationship and you have to go through this. Right. You know, and I was sharing with you too, um, even off the air, that that's how it was for me as well, because this person was a caregiver for me. You know, he was making sure that I was being fed, that I was being clothed, because I was going through some really rough times um, growing up in the hood. 
and not mm-hmm. having the support that I needed. And so he he filled that void. And like you say, he wasn't always bad. So it sends right. conflicting messages to you as a child because you don't understand, which did kind of transition to my, my question, my, one of the questions I wanted to ask you. And because mm-hmm. it seems like an obvious answer to the question, but you understand because this is what you write about and this is what you talk about. But could you define what sexual abuse is for us? Because based sure. on some of the men I meet, some actually don't know if they've been abused. If that, sound, that sounds crazy, but they don't even know if they've been abused. So how right. would you define sexual abuse for us so we mm-hmm. all can be on the same page with you? Yeah. I mean, for me, sexual abuse is any words, looks or touches um, someone who's uncomfortable. So it's like a child to an adult peer to peer. It can be brother, sister, using power and control over someone for sexual gain. Mm -hmm. And it can even be, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, well, Nicole, you know, my what I went through wasn't as bad as what you went through. And I don't even think it was abuse. You know, my (laughs) My uncle just made me watch pornographic movies with him, We you know, when, starting at the age of, of seven or whatever. And I'm like, that's sexual abuse. And mm. they are just shocked. Their jaws hit the floor. Mm. I'm like, you know, they, you don't have to be touched. Wow. You know, forcing someone to watch pornographic videos. Yes. I mean, that's sexual abuse. A child should never have to go through that. And an uncle should know better. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I think it's the beginning of their healing when they're able to really identify that. And see, that's why I asked you the question, because I run into the same thing with men. They come up to me afterwards at a conference or something and say, well, Joe, it wasn't as bad as yours. First of all, I try to tell me, first of all, stop comparing your pain to somebody else's pain. Right. It's not productive. And the thing is, pain is pain and hurt hurts. <laughs> you know, right. my son, right. my, I have a 21 year old son. He hasn't gone through probably 90 percent of the stuff that I had to go through as a child. But I guarantee you this, Nicole, you, I dare you to go up and tell him that the divorce of his parents wasn't um, painful to him. Right. Dare do that. He would look at you no. and like, what? It was right. devastating to him. I don't compare my pain to his pain. And no. pain, and and pain people pain. need their pain validated, whatever yeah. it was. I can't tell you that your pain wasn't the same as mine. I'm sure what happened to you hurt a lot, you know, whoever you are. And I think people need validated in order to overcome and find victory yeah. in their lives. So when they tell you that, when they meet you and they say, well, you know, well, Nicole, um, I didn't have to endure it for that long or it didn't involve anybody touching me and everything. How do you because how do you communicate to them? Because they don't because nobody wants to admit that, wow, I've been a victim, you know, or right. this has bothered me. So how do you, I guess, tactfully tell them, you know what, you have been abused and you need to either seek help or to tell someone how do you broach that conversation? You know, when someone shares something like that with me, I know that they are masking the pain. Mm -hmm, What mm -hmm. they want to know, they need to hear that what happened to them wasn't their fault. They didn't deserve it. And it was a serious offense Mm -hmm. because for them to bring it up today, it's hurting them. And so I don't I don't even beat around the bush with this stuff. I go right at it. Label it for what it is, because I think that's where the freedom starts. Mm -hmm. If you keep saying it's gray area, this gray area, that I'm not so sure it wasn't that bad. You know, I probably asked for it or deserved it. or I put myself in a bad situation. or I shouldn't have been drinking or all of these things. That doesn't matter. You know why? Because no one deserves to be raped. Mm -hmm. No one asks for abuse. Mm -hmm. So it is abuse. If we can be black and white about this issue and and call it what it is, you know, it, it's wrong. I think that people can find a lot more freedom a lot more quickly. 
because they can they can really begin to heal from something. If you don't know what you're healing from, (laughs) there's not a lot of healing there. But if you can say, I was abused Mm -hmm. and I'm going to work on my healing, then, you know, that's real stuff. Right. Right. This is why I wanted you to come on the air. And as you're telling me, I'm getting emotional a little bit because I know that there's so many men out there who are hurting and you know, not to mention the number of women. There's even more women right. based on I'll statistics. I'll tell you, it breaks my heart yeah. when a man comes to me and tells me he's been abused because I know how hard it is for a female mm-hmm. to come forward. But the amount of shame yeah. and the, the gender stereotypes that yeah. are there for a man to come forward and, and confess that, that takes so much courage yeah. and to see the humility there and just the desperation, it just, it seriously breaks my heart so much more than even when girls come forward with their stories. And, and I think that we need men stepping up just like you are, Joe. I'm so incredibly proud of your courage to do that and to, to call yourself a survivor because I know what that does mm-hmm. for so many other men out there. You know, I had my, one of my friends on my podcast, the one voice podcast recently, he is a survivor of child abduction and wow and rape as an 11 year old kid by his mm-hmm. karate coach uh. and yeah after that podcast how many men came to me and emailed me thank you so much for having him on the show like they just need to know they're not alone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it means a lot to them to hear my story but hearing it from a man's perspective and having a man say i've been there and to be as courageous as you are to say that I just know that you are just meeting so many people right where they're at. And they just need to hear that. Even if it's all you ever say is that you've been through it. Mm -hmm. That's a real level of comfort for people. And I I just really commend you for that. Well, thank you. You know, this is a a side question because I, I guess I can't relate to a lot of people who are sharing their story of being a survivor of sexual abuse. But I guess as a side question, when you're sharing your story with someone or when you started sharing your story, there always seems to be that uncomfortable look on their faces when you share it. How do you deal? I'm asking that from a personal standpoint. How do you deal (laughs) with making other people uncomfortable when you do? Because you're not, you don't want to make them uncomfortable Uh because you know, that's part of your healing. But what do you do, Nicole? I'm, I'm curious. How do you handle that when they respond in an uncomfortable way? That's funny. I think it's changed for me over the years. You know, I've been speaking out for 15 years now. And in the beginning, I would feel bad. Like I would want to take care of their (laughs) their hearts and protect them from this. And, you know, so I wouldn't be so direct and I'd be a little soft and fluffy about it. But now, (laughs) no, I don't care. (laughs) I'm like, this is uncomfortable. You know what? Somebody in your life walked through this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it is uncomfortable and you need to be uncomfortable to a point where you want to do something about it. Yes. Yes. And you know what? I'll be real frank with you. (laughs) A lot of times when I see people uncomfortable in an audience, Uh it might be because they perpetrated. And so let them sit. Wow. You know what? I have. Oh, I can kick myself. (laughs) Nicole, you just gave me. I never. That's how naive I am. I never once thought about that. Mm. I never once even thought about that. That is. Wow. Now, you know what? You just. Oh, you don't threw gasoline on the fire now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, my goodness. Oh, Nicole, you should now have told me that. Oh, my goodness. I never because you because as a survivor, you you want it to stop so bad. You want to protect every child and every person, every 
Oh, wow. And I'm not afraid now. Let's let people be uncomfortable because it's going to be either conviction for them to maybe stop what they're doing or think about how they're treating somebody or it's just going to be awareness. Yeah. And now that you're aware, what are you going to do about it? You know, maybe you never knew about this stuff and that's why you're uncomfortable. You know, you've just been sheltered your whole life and and now I just blasted your bubble. But (laughs) that's okay because now you're aware. And if one in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused by the time they turn 18, there's certainly someone in their life that they can maybe remove the veil from their eyes and see something that's going on and maybe stop it before it gets worse. Well, no, Nicole, I have a question for you. Oh, Lord have mercy. It wasn't, I didn't think about it until now. And I'm hoping I'm not putting you on the spot because I don't know how you can answer this question, but I think it needs to be asked anyway, even something that we could talk about, even off the air. When I came clean with what happened to me and I told my my mother and my sister, they actually confronted the person. Okay. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was upset. You know, because I had already yep. gone down yep. path. I've forgiven the person, moving on and everything. But secretly, okay. I actually was cheering on the inside because my family fought for me. You see what I mean? But right. this was, but when they confronted him, his response, and this is a crazy question I'm going to ask you, but, but I want to see what your response would be to it. When they confronted him about it, he was in denial, obviously. Oh, I didn't do anything to him. You know, I didn't, right. I didn't touch him. And this was talking about for three, a three year period. And his response was this, oh, I didn't touch him, you know, but he's okay anyway. He turned out okay. Uh, mm. So my question, Nicole, and I, I, please, if it's not fair, fair question to ask you, mm. if that person is in your audience who could possibly be a perpetrator mm-hmm. and he and could typically, because we know women commit this, do this too. Mm. They sexually abuse. We don't put, not giving them a right. free pass, but right. typically it's, it's men. But mm-hmm. if that person is justified in their spirit, in their heart that, oh, but look, Nicole turned out, look, now she has a platform and it wasn't, I didn't, mm-hmm. what I did to her wasn't that bad. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that person? Because I got to believe, Nicole, I can't, now that you brought this up, I can't, I can't be naive to think we don't have some who may be perpetrators listening to this mm-hmm. right oh, now. Certainly. So what would you say to that man who's thinking, okay, but it's not that bad. What I'm doing is not that bad because you said it doesn't necessarily have to be the physical, but the words and the looks and the touches, all this stuff. What would you say to him or her? (laughs) I would say, you don't know me. (laughs) You're not living my life. I mean, Mm -hmm. we carry so much baggage into our adulthood from our abuse, even if it was just a look, you know, even if it was just making me watch you Mm -hmm. or whatever, Mm -hmm. do your thing like this Mm -hmm. stuff creates lies about ourselves, our worth, our identity, our about a whole gender, about the world, about God. You know, we walk into every relationship feeling like nobody's safe, nobody will protect me, nobody can be trusted, mm-hmm. nobody cares about my needs. I'm just going to be taken advantage of. You know, it might look like on the outside we've got it all together because we are super achievers and right. we are passionate to make a difference in the world and we have a calling by God. But that doesn't mean when I go home that I don't struggle, Right. that right. I don't remember what you did, right. you know, right. that it doesn't affect me in my marriage bed and being yeah. intimate with people, you know, the stuff they don't see. They don't see. Yeah. So, right. So I think that they need to think about those types of things that 
sexual abuse, especially on a child by someone that you trusted, mm-hmm. it has lasting effects that will require healing the rest of your life, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and say I've got it all together and that God has healed me because I don't think he heals anyone of us completely till he takes us back to heaven. So right. until then, I've got to walk this out. I've got to take the sin that was committed against me and I've got to daily ask God to redeem it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and if these people had not committed this sin against us, we wouldn't have to do that every day. So right, right. it might look good on the outside because God can do amazing things on a daily basis, but it doesn't mean I have to, I don't have to constantly bring it back to that, you know? Yeah. And, th- and thank you for addressing that because, I mean, you just opened my eyes when you said that in the audience could be perpetrators. I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. And, and yeah. this, and I told you this before we got on the air, I said, you know, I have all these questions. I, I was waiting for this interview because I couldn't get anybody to talk about this. And now I'm not even getting to the questions that I wanted to ask because I have <laughs> another one that I didn't anticipate asking you, but now that it's come up. Because I, I'm also thinking now, and I know this Holy Spirit just revealing this to me. A lot of times when, you know, you do a podcast, you got your one voice um, podcast and, you know, we have to label some of the shows, you know, is this explicit or should we warn kids about listening to this? And I don't know if you get this a lot, but when I speak at schools, they will say, some of them try to tell me, Joe, please don't bring up about you being abused. Uh, really? Don't talk about that. Or mm-hmm. like even with this show, I have the option of having the show labeled explicit. And I was going mm-hmm. to do that and I decided not to do that. Yeah. Because one time I spoke at this this school and they told me not to tell these middle schoolers about my abuse. And I told mm-hmm. um the principal, I said, Hey, do you know this happened to me when I was in middle school? You know, I had just started <laughs> right. middle school and I said, um right. and no one I didn't tell anybody. And he paused for a second, he was a Christian. And he says, Joe, do whatever God puts on your heart to do. And I did. And do you know, 12 kids came forward Wow! and in that audience came forward and he broke down in tears and was crying. And so mm-hmm. I realized that us trying to quote, protect kids. So I guess my question to you, Nicole, yeah. is how sensitive or do we have to, do we just take the gloves off that? Should, I guess should it be an age requirement when we start talking about this to children? And so they can, because I think by talking to children, it gives them that avenue that they can come open up to you. But is there like, Joe, don't go below this. <laughs> you know, you got to be careful. What would you, what would yeah. you say for people who want to talk about this with their children? Is there an age requirement? I guess I'm asking. I think you start from the get go. It's just about how do you talk about it? You know, when kids are my kids, you know, I have three boys, mm-hmm. eight, seven and two. I mean, when, when my first one was just you know, talking and, and could understand, we talked about the difference between secrets and surprises. I mean, you just start early. If someone wants to keep a secret from you, you know, that's not okay. And you need to tell mommy because secrets are negative. They Mm -hmm. leave people out. They make people feel hurt, but surprises that's exciting and that's happy. So there's a difference in language, you know, And also teaching them, you know, no one touches you underneath your bathing suit as at an early age. Like I think that when we are afraid to address things, we're putting children at risk. And no, I think even bad education is better than no communication about it at all. We have to talk about this stuff. You know, when we keep sexual abuse a secret, 
we're not making it stop. (laughs) You know, if we sweep these issues under the rug, it's not keeping us safe. Mm -hmm. It's just growing underneath the rug. (laughs) So we have to talk about this stuff in order to allow healing for the people who've already experienced it, to let them know they're not alone and that there's places they can go for help, but also to prevent more kids from being hurt. We have to get it out in the open. And unfortunately, when I have a school that tells me that they don't want they don't want to talk about these issues because it doesn't go on here. Mm-hmm. I think, what are you covering up? Yeah. <laughs> what are you protecting? Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of times it's, it's happening in wealthy communities and faith-based communities mm-hmm. simply because they're trying to protect this picture perfect community that really isn't going to be that way. And we are creating a safer environment when we can talk about things in the open and allow people to come forward um, when they're being hurt. Yeah, I often um, joke, I'm kind of tongue in cheek. I say, if you don't address the elephant in the room, it's going to turn into a lion and devour everybody. <laughs> you know? So true. You That's know? good. And, and you're right. We do have to talk about it. You know, and I, I didn't even get to just the basic stuff, but because I want the men out there to really listen, because I know from the la- latest statistics that I saw years ago, when I first started talking about it and even addressing the issue, because I don't talk about it the way you do. I mean, you do your whole program and your whole keynotes are on this topic. You write on this topic. I just happen to mention it in part of my story. And I talk about other stuff. Talk about grades. But you know what? <laughs> you know how powerful that is, though? I go to a church where my pastor will just randomly mention Maybe you've been abused in your life. It somehow relates to the topic of the whole sermon that he's done. And all it is is that phrase, Mm -hmm. you know, and maybe you've been abused in your life or maybe, you know, you were in a domestic violent relationship or marriage or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's all it is. And then he moves on. But how many people that clicks for them because that is their underlying struggle that is just permeating their whole life. And they just need someone just to call it out, call out that elephant that's in the room Mm. because there's so many people that just need to be seen, to be known. They want their struggle to be known and they feel safe now in that environment to come forward for prayer, to admit they need help. And so for you to be able to just say that in the midst of your enormous ministry to men, Mm -hmm. I, I can only imagine how many men have found comfort, peace and acceptance in that. And I think you've done a lot more healing in your ministry than you even know just by saying I'm a survivor. Yeah. Because Nicole, you know that for every um, person that comes up to you, there's probably nine others who wanted to, but still are afraid to, because like you said, they're, they're not ready. They haven't found their voice yet. But yeah. you no, know, the latest statistics that I that I knew of was one out of every six boys are molested as children, sexually abused as yeah. children. One out of four girls. But you, you, this is your area of expertise. Are these stats still the same? Are they better? Are they worse? Where are we standing now with this this topic and this issue? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. The U.S. Department of Justice has said it's one in three girls, one, one in, in six three? boys. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. that works for the for the for the girls. Well, or they're just finding their voices. More, yeah, that, yep, think, that could be it. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more, a lot more young men out there who just haven't been able to come forward. I think it's worse than one in six for boys, honestly, especially with as much pornography addiction as we're finding today. I mean, that's just creating more and more sexual abuse of kids because it's it's growing men up to look at women and children as objects, and eventually that addiction will will play itself out in a real life relationship. You know, and talking about the elephant in the room, which we don't spend enough time talking about because it's such a big industry, is the pornography industry that pretty much, I, I wish I had statistics in front of me, but I saw it somewhere about, it's almost overwhelmingly the people who are 
the abusers, that it's almost overwhelmingly that they were addicted to pornography or they were exposed yes. to pornography. And no one yes. wants to think, oh, my innocent quote, and I'm putting that in air quotes, <laughs> they can't see it on the air, but uh-huh. my innocent viewing of pornography has nothing to do with sexual abuse. But for the person who's the pedophile or that person who is inclined to think that what I'm doing is not abuse, it typically starts with pornography. So it's a progression. It's like a gateway drug into deeper and darker things. And we don't want to talk about that as well, about yeah. that being one of the catalysts <laughs> behind exactly. it. You know? Yeah, it's it starts with that addiction. And then it, over time, it just escalates. It escalates you know, you, yeah. you need more. It needs to be more explicit, more deviant. And eventually you're desensitized mm-hmm. to what you would have before been repulsed by or felt was immoral. You know, it just and then eventually... It, it gets to this fourth phase of acting out sexually where, you know, the behaviors that you viewed in the porn industry and you're repeatedly exposed to grows into this addiction where, you know, you end up acting it out on another person or, or just the view that you have of women or children as just to be used by men becomes something that's just real life for you. Yeah. You know, I heard something that seemed like we're going really off topic, but but I think this <laughs> might be something that you can even use in your programs. I had a guy on the show talk about, he had, he wrote a book called Digital Cocaine. <laughs> and it's mm-hmm. talking about young people's obsession with their cell phones and social media and all this other stuff. And I had asked him a question about at the trend that we're going, where we're becoming so dependent on our cell phones in digital age. I said, what do you see happening I said, I know you can't, you're not a a, a prophet, but based on your study of this, where, where do you think this is going? And he got really scared. He said, Joe, Mm. I even hate to even admit this on the air. He said, but Joe, I believe it's going to, you're going to see younger people becoming more abusive in sexual relationships. He said, it's going to be kids sexually abusing other kids. Yeah. And that caught me off guard, Nicole. (laughs) I'm like, what? He says, Joe, because they're being exposed to pornography, they're being exposed mm-hmm. to things that without filters, without the parents not monitoring what they're watching, and they're going to want to experiment. Yeah. And they're going to experiment with their younger friends, with little kids. And that scared the living daylights yeah. out of me. Yeah. And yeah. so I, oh, oh. But <laughs> that, so I don't know if you've read about that or studied that, but that's something that we need to be aware of because we're, in other words, we're training up the next generation of abusers if we don't that's if we don't monitor this as parents that's you know? it and that's wow. where i really feel like as men and as fathers you know guys have to talk to their kids about this stuff they have to model to their sons how to treat women you know how to respect women how to love women how to protect women how to talk about women with other men yeah. and model that so that we're changing a culture that's going down the to the trash, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, Nicole, um, now I'm going to get into a more serious question. After I let my, you know, I, I'm using your phrase for your keynote, my little secret. Um, It destroyed a 16 year marriage that I had. And, you know, it's no different when you said, when I, I was asking about when my, the, my abuser said that, oh, um, well, he's okay. He didn't mm-hmm. know that it destroyed a 16 year marriage because I did not tell her. While mm-hmm. I was married to her and I had known her for, you're talking about 16 year marriage, known her 20 years. Yeah. And I never told her about it. And, and I would wake up sometimes hitting her in the mm-hmm. bed because I was fighting, mm-hmm. thinking I was fighting my abuser, wow. you know, and I, and she would ask me what's wrong. And I would say nothing. But I eventually after our marriage ended, um, we had a, 
I hate to say a good divorce, because <laughs> it was a good divorce, but we were on the same page when it came to raising my son. You know, okay. we didn't argue, we didn't do all that stuff. We said, okay, we're going to put him first and trying to at least manage the divorce. But mm-hmm. um, I eventually had to tell my son, and he was nine years old at the time, about the abuse that I suffered as a child. And now, and I love what you said about how you talk to your boys. I, I'm going to use that, secrets and surprises. I like that. I think that's a wonderful way to use the right language to introduce. I didn't use that with my son, but that would have been a great way to to talk to him about it. But he was nine years old and I told him about it. His question to me, Nicole, with tears in his eyes was, Daddy, why didn't you tell anyone? Mm, Because he realized the lesson in all of this was that you may not be able to stop it. And Mm -hmm. you may not, you know, we can do our best efforts to try to prevent it, but people are going to do what they're going to do. It's like saying you want to stop somebody from stealing. You can't stop them if they're intent on stealing. Right. He said, but dad, why didn't you tell anyone? Now I knew why I had my reasons, but I want you to share with the, the men are listening. What it seems to be some of the main reasons most men and women refuse to tell us. You kind of alluded to it earlier in, in, in the interview, but I want you to focus and tell us what is stopping us. Why are we refusing to tell others who are closest to us? I can understand you're not telling a stranger, but yeah. not telling your mom or telling your best friend or what you did, but what, mm-hmm. what do you think is stopping us from doing that? I just, I think it's fear, shame, the stigma. You're afraid as a kid, something worse will happen. If you tell your family will be torn apart. No one will believe me. I'll be hurt more. You're afraid of what people will think about you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times kids don't have a language to describe the secret that they feel like they're keeping. Mm-hmm. And then shame, you know, that's probably the most common thread I found in survivors of sexual abuse or assault is we all believe we're somehow to blame for the abuse. And now that comes hidden shame. And that's why survivors keep the secret. And then also just that stigma I mentioned, I think many people who have not been abused would keep a secret because of the stigma that surrounds abuse. They're afraid of what others would think of them or their family. If others knew that sexual abuse occurred in their family. So instead of reaching out to a victim, they cover up the abuse, you know, the parent, the non-abusive parent will tell the, the victim, you know, let's just not talk about that. That's, that was your grandpa. I'm sure he's not going to do it again. We don't want people to know about that. So then now this child feels like they're still supposed to keep the secret, protect the abuser, then allow more abuse to occur. So that's so often what what happens as as far as kids go. When you're an adult, you still don't want to talk about it, you know, because you don't you don't want people to pity you. You and and you don't really see a point in it. Why, why talk about this? Why, why bring bad to this other person? I can deal with it myself. So there's so many, so many different reasons why, but it is an ongoing cycle of silence that we have to break. Yeah. Yeah. And you said, you said earlier that breaking the silence is, that's the first step. And I'm going to get you to elaborate Mm -hmm. even more beyond that. But here's a question I have for you. Again, I didn't anticipate asking this, but I, but, and I'm hoping you can speak to it. And I want you to speak on the standpoint of if you were the child and if you were the adult like I was, and I wish I could go back and, and speak that um that 10-year-old, you know, and say, mm. hey, man, you know, say something, you know, open your mouth. But what mm. would you say, because you mentioned language, if that kid, that child is struggling and said, wow, this has just happened to me, and they want to open their mouth, what, how could you have, what language 
would you advise them to use or suggest that you use? And if they were an adult, what language would get them to ease into the conversation a little bit, to get past that fear and yeah. the shame and the stigma and everything? What would you, how could they, I guess, couch it and say it yeah. that it gives them courage to speak up? Yeah. Well, I just, I don't think it's on the kid. Unfortunately, you know, I think as a, the adults, the caretakers in that child's life, it's our responsibility to know when something isn't right. Right. And to go to that person and say, hey, you know, I've noticed this or I've noticed you've been off a little bit lately. I remember when I was in college, you know, I played college basketball. And so everybody knew me. Everybody knew my personality. And I was going through some hard things. I didn't even talk about it when I went to college. I wanted to start over. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I was looking for um, answers in relationships. So I was trying to fill my voids with people. And I remember there was just a friend, a, a leader on campus that said to me one day, Hey, Nicole, like I've noticed you've just been off lately. Are you okay? And I was always a perfectionist. That was my coping skill, perfectionism and people pleasing. And so I said, Oh yeah, of course I'm perfectly fine. Everything's great. But I wasn't, mm-hmm. but I knew, you know, that the next thing she said to me was what I needed to hear. And it's what I would say to anybody to lend to someone who's hurting. And she right. said to me, well, if you ever want to talk, I just want you to know I'm here because she knew something was wrong, but she was putting it out there. You know, it was just this open door when I was ready that I knew I could talk to her. And so I, I always remembered when I was ready, who felt safe. It was somebody who noticed who came to me and said, are you okay? If you ever want to talk, I just want you to know I'm here. It's, it's also, you know, the parents and the caretakers that ask questions about a child's relationships you know, when there's red flags there about somebody's investing in your kid way too much, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to get a lot of alone time with your kid. Your mm-hmm. kid doesn't feel safe. You know, if you're a teacher and you have a student in your class that hates Christmas break, you know, mm-hmm. ask questions. Mm-hmm. Why is there somebody that you see? Do you have a family reunion? You know, is there somebody that you, you see during that time that you feel uncomfortable around? Ask questions. And eventually that person will realize this person actually cares. You know, I think a lot of it is just about showing up for people and asking questions, just wanting to know the deeper, the deeper things and to have relationships. So it may not be on the kid to have the right language. Sometimes it's just about the kid having the open door. When my, when I told my mom, I didn't, I didn't make that choice to have the courage to tell her she, we were in the car, Joe. She said to me, Nicole, your stepdad's been acting strange lately. She'd wanted to go back to college and she talked to him about this. He was angry and violent and he threw something across the room and he had never act like that before. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was just a red flag for her. She said, has he done anything strange around you? Oh, and I just looked at her in the car. She was driving. I looked at her in the car and I just shook my head because I knew this was my time. Mm-hmm. This was my open door. If I didn't take it now. I don't know if it would ever come back. I looked her in the eye and just the way I looked at her was enough for her to know. She slammed on the brakes. She pulled the car over the side of the road. And I'll tell you what, it was the first time in my life I knew it was wrong. She said, has he ever touched you? It was just, she knew it by the way I looked at her. I didn't even say it. I didn't have language. It was just the way I looked at her. And she said, "Has has he ever touched you? And I shook my head yes. And that was it. She said, she started crying. She said, I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm going to figure it out. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Nicole, you know, you take me back now to my childhood. And after I told my mom when I was an adult, of course, she broke down crying and she lost it. And she said, Joe, I knew something. I knew something was wrong. 
Now, my mom had asked me when I was a child, you know, is everything okay? Are you all right? Is, you know, and Nicole, I blew my opportunity. Mm. And, but she never asked me again. And so what I'm gleaning from this conversation, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that if we are the parent, because I, I like that, that we are to take the responsibility, take that burden off the child. But if we are a mm. parent, don't just ask, continue to ask. And yes, continue right. to question, because your mom, yep. she asked, and then she kept asking more questions. And then she kept asking more questions, right. and you took it. And I realized that, and, and I don't blame my mom, because she said she sent mm-hmm. something, because we know our children. Mm-hmm. And she said right. And that's and, what my mom sensed yeah. it. Yep. And yep. so she she asked, but she only asked that once. And she says, but you told me everything was OK. But my mom was mm. battling her own demons, so to speak. So okay. I knew is that God gave me a moment right then that he got to her and said, ask your son. And then she went back mm. into dealing with her own issues. But that's what mm-hmm. I'm getting from this is that you have you can't just ask once. You got to keep asking and giving that child an opportunity. Yeah. And it's a lot of it is just asking them about their relationships, not really straight up asking, have you been abused? You right, know, cause right. we're not going to straight say that. <laughs> right. We, a lot of times we're protecting our abuser, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's more about, you know, ask about relationships and you know, well, are you okay? And if you ever want to talk about anything, I just want you to know here, like being that non-judgmental safe place mm-hmm. when they're ready to tell, when they're ready to talk, they know who they're going to go to. Now, what about for the adult then? So, because we should know better when we're, we're older. And I should have opened my mouth up a lot sooner than wait until I was 33 years old to do it. So, what would have been, what, how would you have eased me into the conversation if you were in my conscience and said, Joe, all you have to do is say these words or use this or point to this? I don't know. What would you, what would you have told me to say if you were speaking through my conscience? What could I have done differently? As a kid? No, I'm talking about as an adult, because I mean, I still held on to this secret. I didn't say anything and I didn't know how to bring up the topic to even tell my own wife, you know, and it wasn't until I started going crazy and doing (laughs) things that I shouldn't have been doing and cheating on her and all this other stuff that it came to a a head that I had to say, Joe, this is not you. What's wrong with you? And that's (laughs) when the secret came out. And of course, that devastated. That's what what happens, though. I mean, for for a survivor to find the courage to tell, a lot of times it's not until we realize that our current day mess Mm -hmm. is a result of our past struggle, our past abuse. And so I I think that's just how it always is. You know, when you get to the end of your rope and you're like, this problem today actually has a root cause. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. we had to deal with the roots, not just all the, the current struggle. We have to go back to the past and deal with it. And sometimes it, it takes hardship to get there, unfortunately. So you tell me that. So that man out there listening. So it's going to have to. He'll have to hit rock bottom before he opens his mouth. Or you, you wouldn't tell well, him. Well, unless anything. he's listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's listen to this today. <laughs> right. I mean, this. Let this be your wake up call. Listen. Yes, yes. You know, listen to your brother's story and be like, "Well, I don't want. I don't want to wait that long in, in my life to unfold like that. I want to deal with it today. Mm-hmm, you know." Mm-hmm. But if you're not listening and you don't have any mentoring or discipleship in your life that of people stepping in before you and saying, listen, don't make the mistakes I made. If you don't have that in your life, then you're going to be the one making the mistakes. Yeah. yeah. But that's the, that's the point of this podcast. That's, a, that's the point of your ministry. That's why it's making such a huge impact on so many men's lives is it's saying, listen, 
you need to listen now. You need to get mentored now. You need to find a discipleship now. You mm-hmm. need to find accountability now so mm-hmm. that it doesn't become a mess later. You know, speak up now about your struggle. Don't let your porn addiction continue another day. Right. You've heard what this can do in your life. Right. You right. know, go get help. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that's and I'm hoping that this episode becomes one of those shows we always ask, and I'm sure you do on your podcast about please share this episode with your friends who are out there listening. But this is one I'm hoping that gets passed around. I don't I hope it goes viral or something because men are just hiding in the shadows. And I know it's destroying them because it, it almost destroyed me. And so I, I'm blessed that God has given me a platform to be able to put this out there. No matter how small that's that noise I'm making out there, and I guess in the pod, pod atmosphere, but I'm hoping that somebody grabs a hold of me. So you know what? I'm going to share this with somebody else, even if they have to let their kid listen to it. I don't know, but just us discussing it openly may bring people um, out of hiding. And I can tell you, Nicole, that we're getting close to the end of the show, and I told you that we usually ask the man up questions. I am not going to do that today. I'm not going to do that because I want to squeeze in <laughs> a, a couple more questions. I'm just being selfish now because I, I really, it's like, uh, you know, I'm hoping that we'll continue this conversation and we'll continue a relationship even after this show, but I have to pretend I'm never going to talk to you again. And I, I'm trying to squeeze as much information out of you as possible, <laughs> if, if that is possible. But let me ask you, ask you this, what, and I, we, we know the first step is is coming out of the silence. But if you are going to take people um, through a progression mm-hmm. of what they can do, okay, you do this first and then you do this, giving them baby steps to make that step towards healing beyond coming out of the, you know, breaking the silence. What other steps would you suggest they take to come out of the darkness and yeah. step into healing? Yeah, that's a great question. And really my first book, Hush, just outlines all of it. I found four common steps mm-hmm. that have just been so important for a sexual abuse survivor to move from silence to healing. Right. And the first we've talked about a lot, breaking the silence, you know, shattering your secret, telling someone you trust. So the next is realizing it wasn't your fault. I found, again, so many survivors feeling like it was, and they carry that guilt and shame with them for years and years. It affects their relationships, their choices, their day-to-day life. So you need to replace those lies with truth. And so I just walk through a lot of different lies you believe about yourself um, mostly about that it was your fault and somehow carrying that shame into your future. But God has so many truths for us and we have to continue to fight that battle, replacing lies with truth. And the third out of the four is forgiveness. And I think that's a really tough, sensitive issue when it comes to being a survivor of, of some type of sexual violation. And it took a long time for me to understand what forgiveness really meant. But once I did, it totally changed my life, Joe. So just being sensitive to listeners who aren't there yet, you know, it's okay to be angry. It's Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. to walk that out. I I think one of the most harmful things a survivor can hear from a mentor or a pastor in their life is that they have to forgive too quickly, that that's like the first step because it's not, you know. It, it takes time to get there. You have to place blame where it belongs. And if you're feeling like it's still your fault, how can you forgive someone else? Mm-hmm. You have to take the, the blame and put it where it belongs. And so, but once I finally understood that forgiveness wasn't about, you know, wasn't saying what he did was okay. It wasn't letting him off the hook, but forgiveness was actually about my heart. It had nothing to do with my abuser. That made a lot of difference in my life. It was, it was a choice that I could make to cut off the pain of the past and 
to walk forward in in my life and in my purpose and with the Lord. And so forgiveness was not letting him off the hook mm-hmm. for the pain he caused. It was it was letting myself off the hook. Right. It was freeing myself. So I think that that's a, a long journey for people and it takes time to get there. But when you do, it is the most amazing transaction you can make, I think, in this life to find true freedom. And then the fourth is making a difference. And it really is about that verse I shared earlier is, you know, the comfort that we receive where we're now pouring back into others that might be behind us. And I think, again, your ministry is a lot about that. It's being a man and and taking a step towards discipling the next guy and being a model of what a real man looks like after having gone through what you've gone through. So making a difference, yeah, I think is, is that fourth step and and walking out your healing. Well, thank you so much. Go that that's a, a big help. And, and I'm glad I asked you that question because I'm with men. Well, you're, you're married, you know, <laughs> but man, we always want something to do, but I don't know what to do. And sometimes we, you know, we yeah. want to fix things and it's not mm-hmm. that you can really fix Good this, question. but there is yeah. healing if you go through the, the process of it. And I, and since, and this, I guess this is one of the biggest benefits of having you on the air as a woman, because the, the next question I want to ask you, if our wives have been a victim of sexual abuse mm-hmm. and, and they, and we haven't, let's say I haven't, but my wife has. What advice would you give us as men in helping her to heal? Because, you know, men, we can be selfish sometimes when it comes to meeting our needs, especially our physical needs and sexual needs. But when some, maybe our wives have been a victim of abuse. I know that how my abuse affected my marriage. So what advice would you give to men in helping, helping you heal? Because your husband obviously had to do it as well. Definitely. Yeah. And my second book, Breathe, he wrote a short letter to spouses of sexual abuse survivors. And to sum it up, um, he said that he knows his role is not to heal me, but to point me to the healer. And so he, you know, he wants to fix it. He that's, you know, a lot of guys do, Mm -hmm. but he had to learn to step back and let God do that work. His role is to listen and love. And I think that is such good advice to walk through the pain with somebody and to know that God's the one that's going to have the answers that you just have to show up, listen and love. One thing that my counselor told me was that as a spouse, you know, if your spouse had cancer, you would want to learn all you could about that Mm -hmm. disease. And I think it's the same. She said, it's the same when you're spouse or your loved one has gone through sexual abuse. This is a terminal illness. This is something that will be with you. (laughs) You know, the effects last a lifetime. And so learn as much as you can about that, you know, how it affects and ask the right questions and, and show up. You don't have to have all the right answers. People in pain just need to be heard and they need to be loved. And I think that's a role of a husband to a wife. Wow. What a blessing. Thank you so much. I mean, Point them to the healer and listen mm-hmm. and love. And I often tell Ben, I said, we, we're not just called to be leaders, but to lead her, mm-hmm. lead her. And, and I like what your husband said, it, lead her to the healer. Listen. Right. And, and I'm glad the way you, the way he wrote that and the way you communicated it, that is awesome. And now mm-hmm. I got one question, last question for you. Obviously um, we need to get your books. <laughs> I'm going to be one of the first <laughs> to go ahead and read your books, but 
other than your books, are there any specific resources out there that you would recommend for men to go to if they want even more information? Because we're hopefully going to drive them to your website to get your book. But beyond that, because if they if yeah, like you said, if you have a sickness, you want to read as much as you can about it and learn about it. And we need to learn about ourselves when it comes to this. What other resources out there for men that they can go to? Oh, man. I'm sure there's a <laughs> you lot. You put me on the spot. Yeah, I think there is a lot. And honestly, I think even more than the resources is, is finding a person. Yeah. <laughs> honestly, you've got to find that mentor in your life, mm. somebody that you respect the way that they love, the way they lead. Go and find them. Sit under some teaching, you know, yeah. listen to these good podcasts and and then also just go to your spouse, like ask them what they think, mm-hmm. you know, don't do all this stuff in secret, mm-hmm. get it out there. Like, how can I love you more? What would you like me to learn? What, mm-hmm. how, what kind of thing would you like me to read or listen to mm-hmm. so that they feel like that? I would feel so loved knowing that somebody came to me and, and said, I want, I want to know how to be there for you more. Like, what do you think? So that, that would honestly be my best advice. And then of course my books, you know, I have three out. I think it's really good to read other people's stories and things like that. And all my information is on my website. I am one voice.org. That's all spelled out. I am one voice.org. And see, I was getting ready to ask you that as far as, um, the final, cause we come to the end of our show, Nicole, I got to tell you, this is one of the, I mean, we've had some great shows. I'm personal friends now with some of my guests. This is probably one of the first shows I feel like I should be paying my guest <laughs> for being on my show. Hey, <laughs> just tell, just send me the bill. This has been, and I don't know, maybe because it's just so personal to me, but this has been one of the biggest blessings, I guess, because this was one of the inspiration behind me even doing this podcast in the first place. So Nicole, I feel like it's inadequate to say thank you. I found it's inadequate for me to say thank you for being on my show today. Oh, this has been, uh, this is going to be an instant classic, I, I believe. That's what I'm speaking in into existence right now. But thank you so much for being on our show and taking time out of your schedule to uh, to bless our audience. Thank you. Well, Joe, thank you for your humility, your honesty, and honestly, your intense bravery. It, it speaks volumes to me and I I'm grateful to call you a brother and a friend now, and I do hope we'll keep in touch and may God continue to bless not only your ministry, but your healing journey. We know this is a lifelong thing, and he always has more for us. Even when we feel like we, we've we got it all together, God always has more healing for us. And as you continue to pour into other people, I just pray that God continues to pour back into you. And thank you, Nicole. And I'll pray the same for your ministry as well. And trust me, we will be in touch. <laughs> we will keep in touch because this is... This has just blessed my heart. And to all of you guys out there listening, please do us a favor. This is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program, specifically what you heard today. Um, this is the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears, and hearts of men just like you. And please don't keep us a secret. Share us with your friends. So until next time, I'm Dr. Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth, but we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed, and you know, as always, stay in God's grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. 
And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Real Men Connect is a listener-supported podcast, and we're now the number one radio podcast on iTunes for Christian men. If this podcast has blessed you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to bless and transform the lives of even more husbands, fathers, sons, and leaders, please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. Just go to realmenconnect.com and click on the donate button. And may God bless your faithful giving.